Brothers and sisters, friends, I see some enemies. Hey guys, thanks for checking in. Uh, It's Kevin and you're listening to Connecting the Dots. I hope this episode finds you thriving and growing and hopefully you're strong and sound. If not, then try and chill out a bit, clear your mind, man, and just uh, listen to the episode and see what happens. Today we're going to be looking into a new book that's actually related to an old book that we've already covered. This book is called Diversity and the Power Leap by Richard Zweigenhoft and William Domhoff. This book is really an extension and update on a previous book we've already covered, uh, The Power Elite by C. Wright Mills. The original Power Elite episode is actually the highest rated episode on my podcast. So if you haven't checked that one out yet, get around to it whenever you can. It's also uh, the first book I read this year and probably my favorite one. But like I said, this episode and this book really provide a much needed update to the original and it's much more contemporary and fresh. The original book was published in like the 1950s, I think. And this one was published in 2006, so... I mean, it's almost 15 years old, but it's still a lot It's a lot more contemporary. Either way, many of the points I'll be emphasizing will absolutely uh, apply to us today. This book covers the power elite, how it's diversified, and it takes a look at women, blacks, Latinos, Jews, Asian Americans, and gay and lesbians within the power elite. Each chapter breaks down one of these subgroups and looks at the stats, the numbers, the individuals. It provides names, and um, it provides the related dimensions and aspects that apply. It's a dope book for anyone who is interested in learning more about the power elite and wants to get a better idea of what they look like contemporarily. But as usual, I won't be able to cover every chapter and every aspect, so whenever you guys can, I hope you'll check out the book for yourself and uh, hopefully you can get a much more comprehensive understanding. But with all that said, guys, let's take a look. So to start off, let's do a quick recap of who composes the power elite. There are three branches in America related to the corporate, military, and political uh, elite. We've covered them collectively in the original Power Elite episode, but we've also covered them individually and uh, kind of scattered throughout the podcast uh, in different ways and in separate episodes and books that examine or criticize the institutions. These are elite individuals and elite people. So your small business owners and owners of franchises are not part of the corporate elite. You have to be in the top 100 of the Fortune 500 to be considered a corporate elite. The soldiers and troops at home and overseas are not part of the elite. The generals, the admirals, and the joint chiefs of staff, those guys are. Your mayor, your congressman, and even your senator are not so much in that club. But the presidential cabinet and administration are, yeah. I'm just saying all of this to be as clear as possible uh, with who these people are. It's a very small group in comparison to the rest of the nation. But despite their small size, they're still incredibly powerful. They can wield and utilize and transform whole institutions with the potential to destroy and create new ones as well. They have access to money, to resources, to networks, lawyers, and they have access to the best schools, the best universities, the best jobs. All this shit is important, not just to emphasize the privilege and benefits that they have, but to emphasize that they're not really like us. They do not share in our struggles. They do not leave, I'm sorry, they do not lead similar lives. And they don't even go to the same vacation spots or recreational areas that we do. As a result, 
They can't relate. There's no connection. It would be very difficult for them to connect to us ideologically, politically, and philosophically, and maybe even artistically and recreationally. This is important because these are people who are not like us, who do not reflect us. They don't know how we live or what we struggle with because they don't struggle the way we do. Yet, they are in positions um, that potentially allow them to make decisions collectively or individually that affect all of us. It has been a major goal of this podcast to emphasize that we, the regular working class, middle class, and poor people, should redirect our efforts towards people in actual positions of power. Don't fight each other. Know your enemy and take the fight to them instead. Ignore the distractions. Ignore the little dumbass making his little dumbass comments. And learn who your real adversaries are. And then never take your eyes off of them. To distract yourself is to give them an opportunity. To be complacent is to give them an opportunity. We have to be vigilant and responsible. Okay, so let's get a little bit uh, of the basics from this book and some general information that I provided. Overall, elites have not been documented systematically or thoroughly. In other words, researchers and the public aren't really taking a good, long, hard look at them. I'm sure the elites actually really appreciate this. Almost always, though, members of the power elite come from privileged backgrounds. We already discussed this a bit. Elites come from the best of everything. They don't come from where we come from. They do not reflect us. Elected officials, though, they reflect us a little bit more. They grow up with us. They grew up in the same communities. Sometimes they live in the same communities. They go to similar schools. You may even know people who know them. This is worth noting. Elected officials reflect us a little bit more. But elites do not reflect us at all. And make no mistake, no matter how much you yourself may want money, you may want power, celebrity, or fame, you are not them. Just because you have money, even a good amount of money, this doesn't make you one of them. Their money works different. For the most part, the elites are homogenous. They look, they act, and they think the same. Class origins, light skin, education, and conformity are necessary to even enter this higher circle. Despite them being the self-appointed and self-proclaimed leaders of men, just like the police and just like the military, they are conformists. They have to act a certain way, they have to present themselves in a certain light, talk a certain way, and even make sure to be involved in certain activities or groups to, quote, fit in. For example, golf, believe it or not, is central to the elites, and or the business elites. That's their shit. I know you've seen it in movies and shows and stuff, but it's real shit. That's how they bond, that's how they talk, that's where they do business, out on the golf course. Look at Trump, that, that fool has not stopped golfing since he got into office. In fact, it's so central to the business in that small circle that People who don't particularly even like golf or know how to golf will have to go out of their way to learn, to practice, or just take it up because they know that they'll be left out if they don't partake in it. Conformists. The very rich and corporate elite are overwhelmingly Republican. Same as the military and the police. These are very much conservative institutions, and it shows. Money and power breed conservatism because they want to conserve what they have. Even people who didn't grow up wealthy or with privilege um, and who come into it later on in life as a business owner or a cop or whatever, or even if you just make it rich, at some point, you know, usually they'll often convert to conservatism. Not all the time, but generally, yeah. Power, status, wealth, comfortability, they all want to conserve what they have. They like what they have, so why would anything need to change for them? It can be a very... Selfish way of thinking because they often forget everything outside of their own world. A lack of 
genuine empathy is obvious in so many little and subtle ways if you pay attention to it. Their world is peachy, it's nice. But for the millions of other people around them, not so much. There are very few liberals that actually even get into the power elite. I'm not saying at all that a liberal within the power elite would solve even a few issues, because I've already covered some of the shortcomings of liberals, but maybe there would be more balance? I don't know, I don't think so, but either way, liberals just don't make it in there. I'm assuming the power of assimilation prevents that, otherwise you just won't make it into those higher circles. As a result, you have a bunch of conservatives in some of the most powerful positions in the country related to politics, related to the military and the corporatocracy, creating a very conservative country. Despite all our rhetoric, we are a very conservative country and pretty outdated in comparison to the rest of the advanced world. We are a conservative country who is fearful of words like socialism with no genuine understanding of what it even means. We are a conservative country with more wealth ever seen in history that refuses to provide health care or education to all its people. And a conservative country that leaves its most vulnerable people without food, without shelter or resources to uplift themselves. We have conservative elites, so we are a conservative country, no matter which president is in office. In fact, that takes us to our next point, diversity. The book is called Diversity in the Power Elite, after all. Diversity within the power elite has, or quote-unquote diversity within the power elite, has given them tokens, ambassadors, and in a way, a form of legitimacy. This is a consequence for the never-ending demand for more diversity and representation. By asking for more representation, meaning we want to see more women, we want to see more blacks, Asians, and Latino uh, in positions of power and, you know, levels of CEO status or politicians or celebrities or whatever. Never ask for more celebrities, by the way. By doing this, we are asking for an end result without going through the process on how to obtain that genuinely, systematically, or in mass. In other words, we're demanding for representation and people of color and other minorities to be represented in positions of power without asking for more community, social, and working-class investment. That's when you get tokens. These people are usually exceptions, more so than representation. Is a new woman for vice president, meaning Kamala Harris, supposed to make me forget that women in general make less money in comparison to their male colleagues and peers? Or that they live under a patriarchal system, even in the most self-sacrificing institutions like the police and military, where incidents of rape and harassment are prevalent? Am I supposed to forget that there is a political and religious attack on their autonomy, their bodies, and their right to choose? Am I supposed to forget that women, regardless of class, status, or position, are regularly sexualized, harassed, exploited, leered at, and commodified? Am I supposed to forget that single and working mothers have the hardest time of all because of all the factors that I just listed and the fact that Upward social and financial mobility is close to impossible because no matter how hard or how long she works, it only gets you so far. And she still needs to come home for the second shift to care for, shelter, assist, and feed her kids and family, taking on the role of provider, breadwinner, protector, and mother, nurturer, and role model. I'm using woman as the example here, but it applies to all minorities, all subgroups. You cannot obtain the representation and true diversity without genuine equity, without true equity. We need mass affordable housing, high quality education, and free healthcare to one, 
show an investment in the people, and two, allow the people some wiggle room so they can pursue the careers, the passions, and lifestyles they want so they can thrive and contribute to society at their highest potential instead of living paycheck to paycheck and surviving. There's a difference between surviving and living, surviving and thriving. By depriving us of this, we are burdened with stagnation, inequalities, instability, anxiety, and at the end of the day, we are deprived of human rights that the rest of the advanced world already has access to. It should frustrate you. It should be beyond outrage at this point. <sighs> Let me further my point um, regarding diversity in the power elite and this uh, never-ending claim for representation uh, in positions of power. Joe Biden has recently announced his nominees for his cabinet positions. Um, I remember seeing a headline somewhere a few days ago stating that he was going to have, quote, the most diverse cabinet ever. And the Washington Post uh, states that Biden actually wants a team that reflects America and her diversity. Okay. If that's the case, he might want to add some people that are crippled by debt, bills, and don't have access to health care. That is a more accurate representation of America. But keep his agenda in mind because this is extremely connected to the liberal rhetoric and liberal agenda. So let's take a look. Let's start off with a woman. Her name is Avril Haynes. She's, uh, she's 51, I believe, and she was selected to become director of national intelligence. She will also be the first woman to serve as director of national intelligence. That's dope, I guess, for her. But when I looked into her a bit, and once you get past all the headlines declaring diversity, reflection, and her praise for being the first woman director, you can see... She's actually consulted for various corporations, including a national security contractor, meaning a company or a corporation that works with the intelligence community. We talked about the military and corporations collaborating before. But this company that, that she worked with is called Plantier. Planter? Plantier is actually a, when, I, when, we, when they described it in the article, it's actually a controversial uh, data mining firm. And according to The Intercept, her biography page that was posted on the Brookings Institute took this information and her whole biography off completely. In other words, it's, this information was worth retracting. We don't want the public to know that she worked with Plantier. Plantier was also co-founded by a far-right Trump-supporting billionaire. She's been praised for uh, having knowledge and understanding of the inner workings of the intelligence agencies, and she has, a strong, she has strong relationships on Capitol Hill. So that means she's tight with military and intelligence, and she's tight with politicians. We've talked about elites working with each other uh, and being quite familiar with each other as well. There's an overlap. There's interlocking interests. She serves um, on several boards and advisory groups, including the National Commission on Military, the Nuclear Threat Initiative, and Refugees International. Finally, during her intelligence career, Haynes uh, supported another woman by the name of Gina Haspel to become CIA director. Gina Haspel, though, was actually caught for running a secret CIA prison where they were free to torture Al-Qaeda detainees. So let's break it down a bit. Yes, she's a woman. Yes, she's one of a kind and she's incredibly intelligent. She's even a brown belt in judo, which is super dope. But at the end of the day... She's going to be the head of an intelligence community known for its incompetence, known for its scatteredness, its inefficiency, and known for torturing people in places like Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib. 
as well as known for extracting personal information and monitoring its own citizens in the name of security. She also has ties to politicians, corporations, military, and intelligence, as well as uh, university administration or academics, because I believe at one point she was a professor, which the book states is actually a pathway for women to enter the power elite through university administration or academics. So in other words, she covers all the main food groups, but people will cheer her blindly, satisfied with their demand for diversity and representation, not looking past the surface. Now, I'm not trying to tear this woman down or hate on her or anything. I know she's attempted some good things as well. I mean, I, I believe I read she advocated for more women in technology fields or something like that. But I am making the point that asking for diversity, asking for representation, and being satisfied with whoever the fuck they throw in front of you just to shut you up is still detrimental to us collectively. What did you think was going to happen? Of course they're going to use one of their own. This person just happens to be outside the norm ever so slightly, appealing to all those who want more diversity. She's not working class. She's not struggling. She's extremely well-educated. She's extremely well-off, extremely well-connected, and extremely powerful. She does not reflect you. Just because she happens to look a little bit more like you or relate to you on a very surface level. If we just consume the headlines and the official statements, yeah, that shit would be pretty cool, probably. It is still an accomplishment in some way, but... That's all surface-level stuff. If you look a little deeper, you can see that this woman has some concerning and questionable aspects attached to her history, combining that with the history, practices, and shortcomings of the intelligence community. And you have a whole new vision and perception on the situation. I mean, we could just be happy with the headlines and the tokens that they're giving out to shut us all up, but that's going back to complacency and settling. And we're not doing that shit anymore. If you're listening to this podcast... We're not doing that shit anymore. We want better. Nothing less and no compromises in the name of progress and the path towards embetterment. Let's continue the focus on women, actually, uh, as we keep going. To be honest, I've actually noticed that 75, 75% of my audience and listeners are actually women. So let's talk about this a bit. Shout out to all you women, by the way, who are more open-minded, more receptive, and more supportive than the guys. I see, I see you all. You're putting in the work and the time, and it, it really motivates the hell out of me. Be proud. And men, fucking take notes. But back to it. Um, in the original Power Elite by Mills, he doesn't even mention women being in or near the Power Elite or the higher circles. Very few were a part of it, if at all, even though they were involved in the military, corporate, and political arenas at the time. As I stated earlier, though, the elite... The elites are conformists. It's a given. This is no different for women. The book states that women within the corporate world actually need to find ways to show that one, she's one of the boys, while two, she has to maintain her femininity. To conform is to commit loyalty. And it also helps ease any friction or tension between new and emerging members. The book provides an example of a woman named Cecily Cannon, uh, the National Executive Director of the Girl Scouts of America in the 1970s. She's become, or she became the first woman to sit on the board of the company called Avon. And she remembers being at a business dinner meeting and she recalls the atmosphere actually being pretty tense. She says eventually at one point a man offered her a cigar while they're talking and she accepted. And when she did, she could feel everybody just relax and chill out. This is a form of conformity and acceptance. You can't be too different in this club or you just won't be in it. 
Not surprisingly, though, women are still reduced to second class within the power elite. This is even seen with uh, the cabinet positions. Men are given positions like secretaries of state, secretary of defense, and treasury, and they work very closely with the president. These spots are called the inner cabinet positions. All the other ones are the outer cabinet positions. And 17 of the 21 women cabinet members have all been on the outer cabinet. I'm sure these numbers have changed a bit as this book was, like I said, written nearly 15 years ago, but the point remains the same. And obviously, this is different now that we have Kamala Harris as vice president, but to be honest, I don't know how much that's worth celebrating either. Tokens are tokens. Don't let that take away from the reality and replace it with some idealized future that you want to see. Focus on the problems we are facing here and now so we can actually create the future and diversity you want to see come into fruition. Tokens are not a reflection of our societal, racial, and economic problems alleviating themselves or getting any better. These people are exceptions, not reflections. Hmm. Don't feel too bad, though, because these women are still elite. And at the end of the day, they usually end up serving, uh, after they serve on presidential cabinets, they'll be offered positions serving on uh, corporate boards where they might go to make even more money, honestly. Again, these women, especially the ones serving in cabinet positions, always come from economic, economically secure families where both parents are well-educated and professional. They come from money, in other words. They may share the similar struggle of being a woman in a man's world, but they do not reflect your day-to-day struggle of survival. These cabinet and corporate positions are not the same as the women you see in the Senate and Congress. Many of those women are elected and are just a bit more relatable to the everyday women, many of them coming from the working class. But it shows also in their status, their voice, and power. They are of different echelons. The potential for impact uh, in policy or reality are, are prevalent. The women in the Senate and Congress are actually usually less well-educated and less likely to have attended pre- prestigious schools or Ivy League schools in the way the cabinet and corporate women have. They are less likely to have come from privileged backgrounds and more likely to have come from a genuine working-class family. Again, they are a bit more reflective of an everyday woman, but I'm going to skip over women in the military because their presence is actually minimal there in the upper circles. Less than 2% of women will reach the rank of general officer there, which is the equivalent of a one-star general. There have been no women among the highest-ranking military officers, so uh, there's not a lot of information to go off uh, based off the book. In conclusion, though, it's clear to see that by merely adding women to a previously all-male culture and system does not change the culture or the system. This applies to any other minority or subgroup as well. Assimilation and conformity are necessary to even get on the path towards positions of power. You can't get there without assimilating. You can't get there without conforming. The more similar women are to men who have dominated the power elite in terms of values, education, and background, the more likely they are to move into these higher circles. Do we need more women in positions of power, especially related to politics? Hell yes, there's no doubt about it. The other advanced nations, actually, that have access to healthcare and education as human rights have a much larger portion of women in positions of power. Their influence, their presence, and empathy is undeniable, and it's shown and reflected in their laws and policies. But... We do not need women who are showcased as tokens with a history of conformity to a system that is inherently unequal, exploitative, and neoliberal. They do not represent the real American women, and 
they serve a system and corporatocracy that is a barrier towards our overall progression. If you ask for more representation, more women, more, more Latinos, more LGBTQ individuals, they'll give them to you. They'll just give you their own, those that play by their rules. You have to be informed and elect those that you want to see representing us. Those that are not elected will most likely not represent you. And even if they are elected, make sure you know who they are. Because the headlines will say one thing, the liberal rhetoric will say one thing, but the history and actions will say a whole nother. Guys, the point of this whole episode is to be mindful who you ask for and who you follow. Just because you see someone who looks like you does not mean that they have your agenda or your needs in mind. You want someone who looks like this and that, but you need someone who will fight for your access to healthcare to survive. You need access to high-quality education so you can obtain social and financial mobility. You need affordable housing just in case shit gets hard and you need shelter. You need environmental regulations for the sake of the planet and to ensure that our generation is not the last. You need a living wage so you can enjoy your life instead of living paycheck to paycheck and barely surviving. And you need corporations to pay their fair share of taxes and accountability so we can help some of this shit actually come into fruition instead of putting it on the backs of the working class people. Class is more important than ethnicity at the highest levels of social structures, or in other words, in the power elite, the higher circles. I know we often get caught up in racism and sexism, and these are serious issues that I'm not at all trying to diminish. It affects the majority of people in America. But classism, class warfare, need to be urgently examined and brought into the picture. I don't think it's a coincidence that these issues are not discussed as often as the others. These are real issues as well, and classism... Wealth, power, and money will always supersede any perceived or assumed allegiances based off of race or ethnicity. Money talks, and sometimes, most of the time, it talks louder than the woman next to you, than the black or the brown person next to you. Individualism, capitalism, competitiveness, these are the engines for our self-destructive car. Mass inequality breeds mass instability. And for any of, you, any of you that choose to pursue careers in politics, business, corporations, or military and policing, I hope you do well, sure. But we do not change institutions by assimilating to them. It's impossible. The system and our institutions require change from us. Use your voice, your skills, your organizing, your passion, your context to transform them from out here. In there, it's their world. You can't change their world from the inside. You have to show them ours. Whether... One is black, white, brown, whatever. The benefits of being born into privilege are obvious. The rest of us, we're on our own, man. But not necessarily. We do still have each other. All right, guys, that's going to be it for today. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you were able to get something from this episode, even if it's just one new concept. Uh, growth is progress. I appreciate all the people who check in with the intention to expand their mind and their knowledge. Um, I really think this was an interesting book. It provides a lot of details, a lot of names, um, insight, and exposure to, you know, inside the power elite. Again, just know I did not cover everything, not even close. Um, but I hope this episode was enough to get you to be interested and curious enough to maybe pick up the book when you get a chance. Um, if you have not read the original Power Elite by C. Ray Mills, I also recommend that you pick that one up. It's actually one of my favorite books. Uh, it's where I started this reading journey, so I highly recommend it. Also, if you haven't listened to my episode covering the Power League, go back and give it a listen so you can get a better understanding of the concept and the system and these people. 
I think it's important to keep your mind sharp and to be able to see through the bullshit and the distractions and illusions and manipulation that takes place so you can never lose sight of who the most real adversaries and obstacles are. By allowing ourselves to misdirect our anger, to become apathetic, or to fight over trivial and even superficial shit, we are missing an opportunity to gain some real progress. All I want is for people to keep this in mind as they live their lives and hopefully participate in politics and our democracy. And to conclude, it doesn't, doesn't matter what race, what gender, what age or class these people are in. If they support the U.S. empire, if they support the corporatocracy and profits over humanity, then they're no ally, no matter what they fucking look like. As usual, I'll leave a link in the description so you guys can buy the book, hopefully super cheap. Um, I'll also leave a link for the original book by C. Wright Mills, just in case anyone's interested. And finally, I will leave a link to this episode's protest song recommendation. The song is called Natural Beauty by Immortal Technique. Check it out. It's a super dope song. It has a super dope message. And at the very least, it'll get you thinking when you're listening to the lyrics. So check it out. All right, guys. Y'all be cool, man. Be sound. Until next time. Peace. They tried to take our words. They tried to silence.